bold and raw perspectives of local politics. Important information which impacts our community, nation, and world. Exposing truth, transparency, and getting to the heart of relevant issues that you just won't see in the clickbait media. And always keeping it real. It's the Michelle Tanner Podcast. But I won't back down. Welcome, everyone, to the Michelle Tanner Podcast. We have such an awesome guest today joining us all the way from Texas. This is probably one of my favorite people who I'm excited to get to chat with because so much of what she's been through the last few years, I can relate on some level anyway. A lot of you guys know I'm a nurse practitioner. I worked in the emergency department um, for about a decade. And I say I went from hero to zero pretty quickly when COVID started and I started speaking against the unconstitutional, unethical mandates and ultimately ended up being terminated and losing my position after speaking up against mandates and refusing a vaccine that I did not need. I had natural immunity. I was breastfeeding my baby and breastfeeding women, by the way, had not even been part of clinical trials at that time. So for someone to mandate something onto me that hadn't even been studied, I mean, it's just beyond outrageous. And as we know, during the last few years, there's been very few voices, which we'll get into um, with my guest today, which is Dr. Mary Bowden out of Texas. She has over 25 years of experience. She is a board certified physician, an ear, nose and throat specialist, a sleep medicine specialist, and has been a bold and brave voice over these last few years. So Dr. Mary Bowden, thank you so much for taking time out of your clinic day, by the way, to jump on here with me. So thank you for being here. And I want to first get into a little bit of your background of what was your life like as a physician pre-COVID and how did that change after COVID? Oh, remarkably, remarkably different. I was much quieter. I am a solo physician. I actually opened my clinic six months before the pandemic started. I had taken off some time because I had had four boys in five years and I was going to take a year sabbatical. And then I had a fourth child and and that (laughs) changed a little bit. And I actually wasn't even sure I was going back to work, but then, you know, medicine started tugging my sleeve and I ended up starting my own practice and, you know, as an ear, nose and throat doctor, we're used to seeing respiratory tract infections. That's sort of our bread and butter. And so these people started coming in. I remember I had this family uh, of sick patients that had just come, the daughter had just come back from China and this was before spring break and it was on my radar, but you know, like things in the news, you think it's never really going to happen to you. You're like, Oh, that's, that's really not that's the news. And then um, that spring break, all these patients started trickling in and then the rest is history. But yeah, it was a lot quieter. Yeah. And what was your experience like when, you know, being in the medical field, 
you're basically being told by all of these governing bodies, right, of how you're allowed to practice medicine and, you know, you have to recommend the vaccine and you're not allowed to prescribe medications off label for the first time in history anyway, which to me that seemed very bizarre that all of a sudden, you know, for decades we've prescribed medications off label and now things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are really demonized. What was your experience with ivermectin, the vaccine mandate? How did you handle that in your own practice? Did you have issues with the medical facilities that you had privileges at there in Texas? So I was fortunate because the way my practice is set up, I'm not inside a hospital. I'm miles away from the nearest hospital. I don't, I'm not tied to the system at all. I don't take insurance. I don't take Medicare. I call myself third party free. I don't take any, any orders from the government or hospitals or insurance companies. So that, that was helpful during, during the pandemic. And I did have privileges at Houston Methodist hospital, but I'd never used them. I just had those sort of as a backup. And they were the first hospital in the country to mandate the shots. They did it three months before Biden. So I had these patients coming in very distraught over the mandates. And, and you know, we didn't offer the shots in my office. I, you know, I was, I was pretty neutral at the time. I was, you know, patient wanted to get it fine, but I wasn't giving it to people. But then I, ha I started having all these people come in and say, you know, I have to get this or I'm going to lose my job. And so I started speaking out, um, and that's when Methodists went after me very publicly. They suspended my privileges, and they did it in a very public manner. They went to the media before they came to me. Uh, so, yeah, and then in terms of ivermectin, I mean, I was cautious about it. I, I really researched it and made sure it was safe, first and foremost. I had been using a lot of monoclonal antibodies. And I saw how effective those were. And then the government took over distribution and they became harder and harder to get. And that's why I looked at ivermectin and I was skeptical at first, uh, but then I started using it and I found it to be just as effective as the monoclonal antibodies. So, you know, I didn't just jump into this blindly. I was, I was cautious about it, uh, but everything that I've been doing, I, I'm seeing it very firsthand. And, you know, I work for my patients. I don't work for the CDC. I don't work for Methodist Hospital. I, I work for my patients. And that has uh, been very uh, helpful all along in guiding the way that I've handled the pandemic. That seems to be such a common denominator when you do hear physicians and medical professionals willing to speak up about these things. It does seem to be mostly that it's either recently retired physicians that they're not worried about, you know, losing their job or hospital privileges for speaking the truth or, you know, like you, independent practice where you're not beholden to insurance companies dictating, right, the way that you are allowed to treat your patients. So I really appreciate that, that you are putting the patient first and what you did all throughout the pandemic. Maybe talk a little bit about how many patients would you say you treated during that time with COVID and what type of success were you seeing with those treatments like ivermectin that you were using and maybe still do use? So I haven't counted in a while, but the last time I counted, it was over 6,000 patients. And 
As far as I know, everybody that received early treatment is alive and well. I handed out my cell phone during the pandemic, so people were quick to let me know if they were not doing well. Um, so I, I tried to keep tabs on everybody best I could. And, you know, I thought the monoclonal antibodies were really fat. They worked very quickly. Like people would come around the next day. I don't know if you use them at all. Mm -hmm. But um, and ivermectin didn't work quite as quickly, but it still worked. Um, And like I said, as long as people were, you know, cared for and they didn't wait till, you know, it was a second week where people went downhill quickly. And and that was a big problem is that all these primary care doctors were saying, just don't do anything. Wait till you can't breathe. Yeah. And that second week, uh, you know, it was actually, it was day eight, almost on the dot. The eighth day of illness is when people would start going down the drain very quickly. Uh, if you could treat them and that's, you know, that's a basic tenet of medicine. Early treatment leads to better outcomes and I will admit, prior to the pandemic, I thought, well, there's not much you can do for a virus, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that that was sort of the mantra amongst physicians. And but we learned otherwise. I've learned so much during this pandemic, and yeah, you know, we can do something. And early intervention is the key to better outcomes. Why do you think that is? You mentioned the monoclonal antibodies, and that's something also that I used with my patients as well early on, and then. It was like overnight, all of the sudden, you know, government came in and started dictating who was allowed to get them and who wasn't allowed to get them. And it became very difficult, like you mentioned, to use them. Why do you think that is? Well, they had to get the back. I mean, it, it sort of went away as soon as the vaccine came out. Right. Mm-hmm. And they they were expensive, I'm sure. And the government was ba- it was paying for it. So it was the cost and, and the fact that you had the vaccine coming out and people knew they could just go out and get monoclonal antibodies. They weren't going to get the vaccine. Right. Yeah. And do you think there's a tie, especially with the demonization of things like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine early on? Do you see a correlation with the emergency use authorization that they had to have for the vaccine? Because if I understand it correctly, you can't have a known treatment available and get an emergency use authorization for a vaccine. Is that how you understand it? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I mean, that's one of their, there's several criteria that have to be met to get emergency use authorization. And one of them is that you cannot have a readily available treatment uh, as an alternative. So they had to demonize the options out there and monoclonal antibodies went away. And then ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were considered voodoo drugs. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned that early on, and I felt similar to this too, that you were pretty neutral when it came to the vaccine of like, you know, if you want to get it, get it. I'm not going to offer it at my clinic. What's your position on the vaccine now? And what type of steps are you taking to speak up for your position on the vaccine? Right. I mean, I was open-minded to it initially. I thought, well, I'm not sure this is going to work, but I really didn't think it was going to hurt people. I ended up not getting it. I actually almost went to get it because of the mandate, because I had privileges at Methodist. I was mandated to get it. And I went to the pharmacist and I lost my patience because it was taking too long. And I said, no, I'll do this later. And then I just started learning more and seeing more. And I looked at my patients for the last two years, and 7% of my new patient appointments were for people with chronic debilitating health conditions following these shots. 
never seen anything like this and in, in, in any other product out there on the market, for, you know, medical product. Uh, so, you know, now I feel like this is an emergency. We have to take these things off the market and uh, any other product would have been taken off the market a long time ago. Right. Uh, so the fact, you know, not only are they on the market, they're on the pediatric vaccine schedule. It's just uh, completely unbelievable, outrageous. We've got a lot of work to do to clean up from this pandemic. And, but I feel like first and foremost, we have to get these shots off the market. And so I, I have, you know, we have, we, we've all been scrambling to figure out a way to get this done. And my, my latest strategy is to join forces with the politicians. And, you know, this started over about two months ago. I joined forces with three other politicians, two from Texas, one from Michigan. And base, the basic thing is just all I need them to say is these shots should be pulled off the market. And I have a running list going. And we're now up to 194 people on the list. And every day I add more names. It's it's pretty exciting. And you know the, the the gist of it is we're just trying to send a strong, unified message to Congress, uh, raise awareness, and then in addition we started a political action committee to support the candidates on the list because these people are basically they're basically spitting in the face of big pharma. They're not going to be getting donations like like their colleagues uh, from big pharma. So our goal is to try to support them financially, help their campaigns, and just unseat all these people in Congress who have failed to protect their constituents. Yeah. And I mean, what a great point as far as working with the politicians. Our very own governor, Spencer Cox, here in the state of Utah, recently had a donation from Pfizer. And that's not unique. I think Big Pharma is one of the largest lobbyists and, you know, donators to politicians. How do you see that link between Big Pharma and politicians? And how does that affect medicine? It's a huge conflict of interest. I mean, doctors are not allowed to get kickbacks from pharmaceutical companies. They put a big, uh, they squashed that a while ago. And we can still get you know, research funding and that sort of thing, but we're not allowed to be taken on trips and all that sort of thing because it's a conflict of interest. And, you know, we don't need pharmaceutical companies dictating our laws in this country. We need to kick Pfizer out of Congress. Uh, and they, like you said, all the money, there is just so much money from these pharmaceutical companies going to these politicians. It's sick. Yeah. Amen. And I'm curious your perspective on this, because this is something that I still really struggle with post 2020 because, you know, prior to 2020, I was very much in line with the CDC schedule. I vaccinated my kids per the CDC schedule and the trust for me. And I think for a lot of people in this country has been completely obliterated in the CDC and our healthcare system. And now I'm to the point, and you mentioned the COVID vaccine being on the schedule now for children, which makes no sense when you talk about weighing weighing risks versus benefits that we do all the time in medicine. The risk does not even come close to justifying the benefit, especially in children. How can we trust any of the vaccines now on the schedule or the CDC at all? Where do you move forward now as a doctor? And what do you recommend now for your patients when it comes to vaccines in general? 
Yeah, I, I'm glad I don't have any small children, and I'm glad I'm not, I'm not a pediatrician because that that's a that's a difficult question to answer. Uh, and yeah, I think it's a case by case basis. I definitely think we have too many shots out there that we're giving to our children. Um, but yeah, it's it's a di- I I don't trust. I had full trust, right? Just yeah. like you. I, I didn't really think twice about the vaccine schedule. And now, yeah, I really wonder what what is safe and what isn't. Um, and I, I hopefully we can weed that out in the next, you know, in the next year or so and, and get this, you know, it, but it's it's tough. It's tough. And I uh, everybody just has to really dig into it and, you know, find a pediatrician who is is willing to think outside the box. Now, one thing I will say, and I did this before when my kids were little, is I never gave them shots when my kids were sick. Uh, that's just too much for the immune system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there are lots of pediatricians out there that are at least willing to space them out so they're not getting you know, five, six shots in one day. I think that makes sense because it can be a lot for the immune system. Yeah, I think that's a great point and and something I'm still trying to figure out as well, because, yeah, I went from I actually had a baby in 2020 and started out on the normal vaccine schedule. And, you know, I've not given her any shots since about, I think, the six month mark, because it's just I don't trust any of it anymore. So it is really difficult to know what we can and can't trust. Now, you mentioned also in your own practice, a certain percentage of your patients now coming in with new chronic acute illnesses post-vaccine. What kind of things are you seeing health-wise related to the vaccine in terms of injury? Yeah, I'm not seeing the myocarditis and stroke patients. I'm seeing more of the chronic problems and they they tend to cluster. So it tends to be things like POTS, which is when your blood pressure goes way up, goes way down for no real reason. I see neuropathy, I see which is you know like localized pain with no explanation. I see chronic fatigue, I see bad rashes. And these are people that you were previously healthy and there there's no other explanation. They usually have seen multiple doctors. They get the million dollar workup. Nothing shows up more or less. Um, and it's, and they get put on psychiatric medicines, sleeping pills, that sort of thing. It's very discouraging and they're, they are difficult to treat. I've had some luck. I haven't had overwhelming success. Um, some people just get better with time. Uh, but it is a problem, and you know half the problem is that they're being ignored or just you know told it's all in their head. It's it's very bad. We need we need big funding, and we need attention drawn to this so that they can get help. Do you think we'll ever really get to the bottom of the true extent of vaccine injuries and actually ever have any proper studies done? Because it's really even hard to trust some of the studies and research out there because, you know, are they just tied to whoever's funding them and skewing the results that way? How do we trust that we will ever know the true safety and efficacy of these vaccines? Well, we may not, but I am confident that at some point we will get these pulled off the market. And I do have hope because people, fewer and fewer people are getting these shots. People understand the dangers, even if the government's not willing to acknowledge it. 
So I think as we see a decrease in usage and with time, people will just, I'd say a lot of people are just getting better who were injured with time. Um, that even if we don't get the full answers, uh, hopefully we can avoid further injury. Yeah, it is really mind blowing when you look at the VAERS system, the vaccine, you know, injury reports and how there's been literally more with this vaccine than all of the other vaccines combined. Right. But yet it's still safe and effective. Right. Just just take it and shut your mouth and don't ask questions. Right. So I appreciate you so much for being willing as a medical doctor to ask the questions to be a voice, a true advocate for your patients. And you've actually put your money where your mouth is by opening up lawsuits, right? And actually going after, in fact, I wanted to know the update on, I think I had watched a press conference a while back about you demanding the hospital show their medical records or have those be open to the public. Um, whatever happened with that, maybe tell us a little bit about some of the um, lawsuits that you've been involved with. Right. Well, I sued Methodist initially to try to get their financial records related to the how much they were getting kickbacks for COVID. Mm hmm. And the case was immediately dismissed and is basically on hold right now. Uh, I sued them again for defamation. Of course, that was dismissed. Uh, I have appealed that and we're waiting for the outcome of that. And then we sued the FDA over ivermectin. So myself and Robert Apter and Paul Merrick uh, are the plaintiffs. And basically, you probably are familiar with that famous tweet of the attractive healthcare woman nuzzling the horse, and you yes. don't even need the caption. Uh, but the caption said, seriously, y'all, you're not a horse, you're not a cow, stop it. And that just that was just set off an avalanche of issues uh, as a physician trying to get my patients ivermectin, basically the FDA telling the public not to take ivermectin. So we sued them and that, you know, they, the case was initially dismissed. Uh, we appealed to the Fifth Circuit. We won that appeal, but that appeal basically just grants us the right to continue the lawsuit. And then the FDA appealed that. And it's, it's just a big mess, but uh, it's in limbo, basically. But we're, we're optimistic. Yeah. Well, thanks for being willing to put yourself out there with those lawsuits because they are absolutely soul sucking. Even if you're right, which you are right, they are still soul sucking. Um, but it, sometimes it's just what has to happen. And I love I, I read a quote from you somewhere where I think it was Methodist or another hospital, you know, coming after you, or maybe it was the medical board who wanted you to basically, you know, admit guilt to something. And you just said, no, I will not admit guilt to something, to crimes I did not commit. And I find that so admirable. And it's mind boggling that, Nobody has really taken accountability yet for the absolute smear campaign against you. I mean, how would it ever be appropriate for someone to come out and accuse you of things which, you know, clearly are not true and then to have 
zero accountability. It just, you know, why do you think it is that we experience this so often, the injustice in our court system? Yeah, the court system, I, well, you know, I just had no idea prior to any of this, as I guess you can relate to. Um, Yeah, I was shocked that the cases got dismissed so easily and quickly and that everything just takes so long. And it seems to be, you know, the outcome seems to be related to the political affiliation of your judge. Uh, One interesting uh, fact is the people that um, you may be familiar with all the lawsuits against the hospitals when they refuse to dispense ivermectin. And I was involved in one of those lawsuits, but the two lawyers on those suits, Ralph Lorigo and Beth Parlato, I mean, they are heroes. They, I think they sued 150 times, something like that. But they found a very, very, very strong in correlation between the political party of the judge and the outcomes of their cases and ultimately the outcomes of the patients. So the if the judge was a Democrat, they ended up losing and the patient ended up dying. And then if the judge was a Republican, they ended up winning the case and the patient ended up surviving. This was the people in the hospital that couldn't get ivermectin, but were suing for it. it it's just it's just unbelievable. It really is how something like this has become so politicized when it just comes down to humanity and doing the right thing for your patient and why a hospital would ever deprive a patient of a treatment that actually does have studies showing its effectiveness, but not to mention how often we give medications off label all the time. It just, it blows my mind and I cannot thank you enough for being willing to take the arrows that I know you have been through hell these last few years. I, you know, on a smaller scale, I've experienced that. So I can only imagine what you've been through. So I thank you for taking the time to jump on for a few minutes today. I know you are in the middle of your clinic day and have patients to see. Hopefully we can, you know, catch up more down the road, though. Just in closing, anything else you want to add that you feel is important and where can people follow you, find you to support you? Well, I I have a lot of people that say they want to help. And now now is your chance. I mean, even if you can just donate five dollars, that's helpful. But our political action committee is Americans for Health Freedom dot org. We will be fully transparent on where the money goes, but it, it, we our big project right now is to support these politicians who will are willing to put their neck on the line and say that the COVID shots should be pulled off the market because there are so many that are silent and these people are brave and we want them to win so that we can actually see some change. So I hope everybody will just consider donating just even a little bit would, would help. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mary Bowden. Hope to catch up with you soon. You're awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for being a part of the Michelle Tanner podcast. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share. And always remember to keep exposing truth. But I won't back down. No, I won't back down. This has been a production from... A podcast studio.